0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours through the Triune God. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us, on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you.
1: A reading from Prophet Isaiah On this mountain... The Holy One of heavenly forces will prepare for all the peoples a rich feast. A feast of choice wines, of select foods and rich in flavor, of choice wines well refined. God will swallow up on this mountain and veil that this is veiling of all people. The shroud enshrouding all nations, God will swallow up death forever. The Holy God will wipe tears from every face and will remove the disgrace of God's people from off the whole earth, for the Holy One has spoken. They will say on that day, look, this is our God from whom we have waited and now has saved us. This is the Holy One for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in this salvation. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. A reading from John, the Gospel of John. A certain man, Lazarus, was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This was the Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. When the people who were comforting Mary in the house saw her get up quickly and leave, they followed her. They assumed she was going to mourn at the tomb. When Mary arrived where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the people who had come with her also crying, He was deeply disturbed and troubled. Jesus asked, where have you laid him? Martha and Mary replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to cry. The crowd said, see how much he loved him? But some of them said, he healed the eyes of the man born blind. He couldn't have kept Lazarus from dying. Jesus was deeply disturbed again. And when he came to the tomb, it was a cave. And a stone covered the entrance. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, the smell will be awful. He's been dead for four days. Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? So they removed the stone. Jesus looked up. Ava, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they will believe That you sent me. Having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied, and his face covered with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Untie him and let him go. The word of the Lord.
0: How fitting! How fitting on Halloween to hear a tale of the walking dead. Now, of course, Lazarus isn't a zombie, but reanimated corpses still qualify as creepy. Listen to the silence that falls over the crowd when a group of men shoulder the stone from the entrance. Wait, is that a rustling sound? Out of the darkness of the tomb, look! A figure lurching forward, limbs stiff from disease and disuse. And it can't be easy, can it, for Lazarus to walk, given that he's wrapped tightly in strips of cloth, like any Halloween mummy. No, Lazarus... Is it a zombie? Zombies are famously mindless. What are they after? Say it with me. Brains. The zombies that we see on screen are not thinking. They lurch and lunge and devour on instinct. Zombies sell tickets to horror films because we know deep down that mindlessness can be deadly. I remember learning about the Rwandan genocide, how dramatically that illustrated how a community can lose its mind and commit atrocities. But each of us, I imagine, has slipped into autopilot before. All of us have had a moment, a moment when we spoke without thinking, acted on assumptions. We recognize zombies as kin. But Lazarus isn't a zombie. He is our brother, as much as he is Mary's and Martha's More than this, more than this, Lazarus is us. Every one of us who has tasted death. We are also Mary and Martha, true. We have watched infection and cancer and perhaps even COVID steal away our loved ones. We've wept when the fabric of life is ripped apart suddenly, or when we feel helpless, helpless to halt its unraveling. Perhaps the shape of Mary's words feel familiar in your mouth. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You know, they feel familiar to me. We are Mary and Martha, but we are Lazarus too. We have tasted death, felt it take hold, gripping us tightly. Your experience of death doesn't have to be anything so dramatic that it requires a defibrillator to shock you back to life. Some people have stories of walking toward a bright light. But all of us, all of us have stories of when the lights went out. When hope for the marriage or the mortgage shatters. When the lying voice within insists that we are worthless, a waste, a burden. When isolation keeps us from the community we need. Bodies undergo physical changes when death claims them. Essentially, there are four stages of death. Pallor mortis, paleness. Algor mortis, the cooling of the body. Rigor mortis, the stiffening of the muscles. And livor mortis, when the blood moves by gravity to the dependent parts of the body surely soul death must bear a resemblance to these four stages. When your strength of will is sapped away, when your capacity for caring cools, when the muscles that exercise empathy stiffen, and the weight and gravity of despair implodes. Friends, I wonder which stage of soul death have you known most powerfully or most recently? I read about the stages of mortis in an interview with the artist Ross Miller. In November 2019, Miller painted 60 portraits of Lazarus in the first minute after he heard Jesus calling, Lazarus, come out. 60 portraits for 60 impossible seconds. A kind of photoreal of the resurrection. What was it like? Miller pondered. What was it like for Lazarus when his blood warmed again, when his lungs filled with oxygen, when strength entered his pale, cold body? What was it like to have life come into him from the voice of Jesus? What was it like each of us could begin to answer that question because Jesus has called us from death back to life. Lazarus is us. We are not only Mary and Martha, not only onlookers or comforting neighbors or mourners. We are the resurrected Our names are on Jesus' lips. Jesus calls us his voice hoarse from sobbing. Jesus calls us his lungs aching from suffocation on the cross. As a friend who loves us, Jesus speaks our names saying, Come out, beloved, come out. As the one who met Martha on the road, saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus summons us back to life along with Lazarus. Friends, this is not a Halloween tale. It is an All Hallows' Eve tale. These verses are the suggested reading for this year's observance of All Saints Day, November 1st, because they tell the truth that hallows our lives. It is the truth, the truth of God who weeps for us, God whose heart is broken in anguish for us, truth of that God reaching out and setting in motion within us that which was not possible before. This is the truth of resurrection power that redeems us from despair even when the banquet spread for all peoples is so far off as to be a dream. God hallows human lives, much to our utter surprise. All Saints Day tells that truth. Just ask Johnny Cash. Cash penned these lyrics, put them to paper in the 1970s. You can listen to his daughter, Roseanne, sing them. We're in the church house kneeling down. We're in the subways underground. We are in the bars and on the street. We drive a truck. We walk a beat. We hurt each other and ourselves. We went through long traumatic spells. We cried out from the deepest pits. But rise back up Each time we're hit, we fell from power and from grace. But resurrections in our face, we are the walking wounded. How fitting for the man in black to pen those lyrics. What is it like? What is it like when life returns to Lazarus, just ask the walking wounded. They'll tell you. Ask Queen Liliokalani, the last reigning monarch of Hawaii, and she'll describe being under house arrest after American colonizers hungry for cane sugar deposed her. All she had to read while in confinement were the Bible and the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, and with them she composed sacred music in her native language. Listen to her sing praise to God, and you'll hear from this one of the walking wounded truer gospel than any version wrapped in a flag. Ask John Calvin, that old curmudgeon of the Reformation, and he'll recount fleeing France after the medieval church cracked down on Protestant rumblings. As a refugee in Geneva, Calvin's calling to preach the fullness of God's grace, a calling that has trickled down through the ages to our family of churches, that calling was frustrated by periodic bursts of Swiss xenophobia aimed at people fleeing religious persecution across Europe. Read Calvin's work, and you'll find that God's love for the vulnerable obliges disciples, quote, to incur the offense and hatred of the world. Ask Alma White, another one of the walking wounded, the first woman to become a bishop in the United States. And she will admit how wrong she was. Yes, she was a religious pioneer. She founded a Pentecostal church in Denver, Colorado in 1901. But Pastor White thought that Catholics and Jews were her enemies. So she endorsed the Ku Klux Klan. Sit with her in God's mercy. A mercy that embraces us in our brokenness. What is it like when life returns to Lazarus? Ask my friend Jen, and she'll say that life is dripping with rose-scented oil. Jen preached at Yerald's ordination service in Washington, D.C. yesterday. Every year she told us, I travel to California to experience mercy. Every year she accompanies her husband, Casey, to his home church, an Orthodox Christian church in the Bay Area. They go for Holy Week. On Wednesday evening, the congregation receives anointing with olive oil. And it isn't like their usual anointing, not like the practice that we took up for two months here in Hector, tracing a faint cross on the forehead. No, on the Wednesday of Holy Week, the priest at St. Nicholas. Applies oil to the forehead, and the eyelids, and the nose, and the ears, and the lips, and both hands, and both sides of the hands. The oil drips. It is messy. It is infused with concentrated Bulgarian rose oil, and it smells so good. Smells like mercy. Standing before the larger-than-life icon of Christ, our judge and our hope, each worshiper stands, knowing their own mess, knowing their own meeting places with death. They stand before Christ as God's mercy is oiled on them. Mercy drips down their faces as the choir sings of a woman from the Gospels, the woman who anointed Jesus' feet, Mary in John's Gospel, nameless in the others. This woman who scandalized polite society with her outpouring of love for Jesus, who received mercy and forgiveness from the Savior. What is it like when life returns to Lazarus, to any of us walking wounded? Your neighbors will be able to tell you. Your neighbors will tell you after you untie them at Jesus' urging. They probably won't use churchy language but I am convinced that it will sound familiar to you. It will sound like God's redeeming grace, grace that we heard when Jesus placed our names on his lips and called us out of the tomb. Friends, for such grace, let us give all glory and all gratitude to God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Blessed Trinity, Mother of us all,